Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez with you here today and my special guest, Joshua Latimer. Welcome, Joshua. Hey, Henry. How are you? Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yeah, close enough. Good enough for me. <laughs> no, you did perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. What's what's the uh, perfect pronunciation? Latimer. Latimer. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. You I said. got well, it. Well, thank you. Uh, so let me tell you, the listeners, a little bit about Joshua, and then I'll have him add to this. Joshua left a safe and secure job at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank to start his local cleaning business, and obviously we will be getting into that. Uh, after year, two years of struggling, though, with that business, uh, he started to figure it out after implementing systems in his business. He tripled his revenue in one single year. So imagine that. From that day forward, he continued to build an automated machine, as he calls it, that did over $150,000 a month in the busy season without him working in the business personally, which is what we all aspire to. Uh, Joshua has a passion to help businesses understand the power of systems and automation in their business. In early 2015, Joshua sold his company to a buyer from California, that's the, the cleaning company that is, and moved to Costa Rica. So we'll chat about that briefly uh, with his high school sweetheart, his wife, and his four children. Joshua is the founder of AutomateGrowSell.com, an online training platform for small local service businesses, as well as SendGym.com, a follow-up automation tool for busy professionals. So Joshua, once again, welcome to the show. Please tell us a bit more about you and about what you're doing these days. Well, thank you for having me, Henry. You know, con mucho gusto, mi amigo. <laughs> so I've been learning Spanish for the last, you know, 18 to 24 months, preparing for a move to Costa Rica. Um, I'm not a fancy, high-level, you know, purebred business guy by any stretch of the imagination. I, I always joke that I have a bachelor's degree in pain and a master's in suffering <laughs> from, from the university of real life. Um, but you know what? I'm just a family guy. I'm 34 years old. I, I have shiny object syndrome. I love business. I love entrepreneurism. I'm fascinated by the moving parts of businesses. And what I do now that I've you know sold my brick and mortar business is I have you know location freedom. So I, I I work with other small businesses all over the world and help them systemize their life and their business. And uh, as far as me, you know, I play with my kids. We live uh, real close to the ocean down there. We do some traveling and really I'm trying to grow my, my new companies. All right. So I could talk about that paragraph you just shared with us for hours because so much of it resonates with me. Location freedom is exactly what I think we all aspire to and what I'm trying to segue into in this next chapter of my business career. Coming to it from, you know, again, humble beginnings, another way to put it, it absolutely is my background and a lot of our listeners. So I think that resonates extremely well. Um, so all, all of that is great. And in Costa Rica in particular, I was there, it's been two years now. My first time down there was a couple years ago. So we stayed in the Manuel Antonio area mm -hmm. and uh, thorough, thoroughly enjoyed it, loved it. Uh, but moving down there is a whole different ballgame. What, what brought you to that? 
Well, you know, we really felt, you know, called to go down there. And it's funny to try to connect all the dots. I wish I had a, a super profound answer for you. Um, but we just want to live a big life. We want our kids to understand that the world is a big place. And we want to do cool stuff. I always tell my children, uh, do hard things. You know, and honestly, it's been very hard, much more hard than I thought it would be. And it's easy to go to my website or, or to read a, a snippet about what I'm doing and say, oh, that's the dream life. And we are blessed beyond imagination. But uh, it's not easy to take four kids, move to a foreign country, go through the, 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 the legal process of becoming permanent residents, all the cultural shifts. Everything is different down there. Uh, the, the culture, the mentalities, everything. So it's been a really interesting year. We've been there for one year and we're excited to see kind of what the future holds. But I don't know that we're there for life, uh, but we're there for right now. What are the age of your children? I have a baby girl that turns one in two weeks. She was born in Costa Rica and I have three sons. Uh, my oldest is nine, my middle is seven and a half, and my youngest is six. Very interesting. So I, when I was young, I was uh, 11 at the time, my dad moved us to Venezuela, South America, and we spent two years down there for a job that he went to do. And at the time, it was it was a shock for me. It was definitely a shock. But looking back on it, it gave me such perspective on the world, on America compared to other places in the world. So it was hugely enlightening. So I think at a minimum, I suspect it'll do that for you and your children, I hope. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it, it's amazing because, you know, being an, an American, we have a tendency in this country uh, to think the whole world revolves around us. But, it, you know, it, right. it doesn't. The world is a huge place with so many different things going on and so many opportunities and just things to learn. So, you know, I think it's been a profound thing for us to take that leap and do it. Uh, it, it was a crazy thing. It was a crazy thing. I mean, we're small hometown local people and our families about fell out of their chair when we told them we were doing that. But you know what? I don't regret the decision. Uh, and it's it's really helped us grow closer as a family and to really expand our our, our thinking on the way the world works. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And then Costa Rica is such a, an interesting country because you, you get there and you, you feel what they're trying to do and the progress that they have made. They're still a long way to go. Don't get me wrong for anybody listening, but, but you can bu easily buy into what they're aspiring to do with their nation. Yeah. It's a beautiful place, you know, very ecological, very slow pace. You know, I'll tell you, there's certain things about Costa Rica that make me very much appreciate the infrastructure, the progress, the technology, the mentality that we have in the United States. But on the flip side, there's a ton of stuff in Costa Rican culture. They're family oriented. You know, half the country shuts down on Sunday. They still eat dinner together, you know, typically. And they, they, they move a little slower. And that can be frustrating to a go-getter like me or like you, Henry. But at the same time, when you really look at it honestly, you say, you know what? There's probably a reason these people have the longest life expectancy in the world. And so I don't know. There's, there's good and bad for both. But being able to see it from this perspective is amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's uh, start where we usually start with folks like yourself who have, this, have made this journey, this transition from the corporate world to being your own boss. You had a successful career including a stop at J.P. Morgan Chase. Tell me about that. Tell me about your career. Sure thing. Well, you know, after high school, I got involved with uh, in the mortgage world a few years at right when I first got married. And I had a knack for, for selling financial products. I loved finance. I was very good with numbers and things. And I got recruited to go over to J.P. Morgan by uh, a friend of the family. And I went over there. And the reason I was doing it, really, was 
I think just an underlying social pressure to kind of fit in the square hole and, and that's what you do and you get a good job and you work really hard and you save money in a 401k. And then when, you, when you're old, hopefully there's enough dollars in that pot to, to not run out before you're dead. <laughs> but it didn't resonate with me and I was very uncomfortable in it. I succeeded. I, I had results with it, but there was something about it that really made me want to crawl out of my skin. And when my wife got pregnant with our first son, I, I kind of panicked. It really in a good way. And I, I lit that bridge on fire and started a cleaning business. And at the time, it was extremely risky. Uh, we made almost no money the whole first year, did 24000 in total revenue, almost starved to death. But I just kept going. And, you know, I would do almost anything, Henry, to not have to work for building someone else's dream now that I know what it's like to really live in this world and be in control of my own dream. Okay, lots lots right there as well. So I want to go back to it didn't resonate with you. Was it was it always something that that career having a job never resonated? Was it and was it clear to you that what you needed to do was become your own boss or was that not clear? It, it was clear. It's just that when you're a young man, you have a lot of zeal and passion, but didn't, you don't have the discipline yet. You don't have the intestinal fortitude or, or the clear vision to understand exactly the steps to take. But even when I was 18 years old, my parents went away on vacation. I had a credit card and I thought, hey, I'm going to buy 14 candy machines on a credit card. <laughs> so they come back from vacation and their garage is full of equipment. And I always had that entrepreneurial bug. I was reading, you know, real estate investment books when I was like 17 years old and just fascinated by entrepreneurism. And even though I had jobs and I, I didn't really want them, I always did my job at a high level. I've always been competitive. I was always the guy, like a lot of people listening to this, people like us, we want to have excellence. Um, but the thing that got me, frustrated was that I was contributing my excellence to build someone else's dream and not my own. Yeah. That's such a great way to put it. I have a saying that you either are a person that is okay with creating for others or you must create for yourself. And this is an even more eloquent way to put it, which is you knew you were building someone else's dream, not your own. Did that was that there, and I think you've answered that, I think, was that there from the beginning or did it gradually build over time? Talk to me a little bit more about that. I think when I was first in my early 20s, I knew that I was going to end up owning a business at some point, but I didn't have a you, sense of yeah. urgency. I didn't have anybody to live for other than myself. And that's why when my wife got pregnant, it's like a, a light bulb went off in my head. I got highly motivated. I didn't know what I was doing still. I did not have all the answers, but I had tunnel vision on what I was going to attempt to do. And so <laughs> I think that's really what propelled my success is, you know, family's everything. You know, 10 out of 10 people die. You can't take your stuff with you. And I like earning money like anybody else, but it's more of a scorecard. It's more of a big game to me. Uh, it's it's serving my family while leaving a legacy in that area that is most important to me. So, man, I'll tell you, having my first son changed my life as, as well as it has for a lot of people that have kids listening. Yeah. So that was a life changing event, made you see things completely different or clearly, let's say. And so you take that leap to start your cleaning business. Tell me about that. Did you quit your job and started? Did you start it while you still were working? How did that work? I had a couple little gigs on the side while I still worked, but no, I ultimately left that job to go full time into it. And uh, it's a weird business. And in Michigan, it was a seasonal business, but I picked it because it was high margin. It was a repeat service and it was a niche. You know, I've always heard there's riches in the niches. And the hometown where I'm from didn't have a high level 
residential, you know, luxury, luxury cleaning, window cleaning and pressure cleaning service. So I just saw an opportunity and it turned out to be tremendously uh, valuable to start that. You know, now there's over 20 different companies in our area, but at the time uh, it was just us. And was you, did your wife keep her job or did you have enough savings for the transition? How did that happen? She always worked part-time, you know, and it was important for us for her to be able to be at home if she wanted to. Uh, but she's involved with youth ministries and all kinds of other things. And she, she always worked. But, you know, back, back then I think her job made $700 a month or something. And, wow. you know, we were just young married people trying to survive, you know. And I'd stay up till 2 in the morning on my computer reading on the forums and trying to read e-myth and trying to figure out systems and trying to figure out what I was doing wrong and why it wasn't working. And it was just this endless thing for the first several years. And so why, why did you do it? What was that dream that you had that got you through that period of time? My obsession is to be able to build a box with moving parts in it, in the box. And you put a dollar in the top of the box and $2 come out the bottom. But here's the kicker. I want that to happen without me touching it. You know, that's the ultimate goal. And everybody, you know, that has a business already has systems and things. But how do you optimize and calibrate your business to do all the stuff it needs to do, to serve all the people it needs to serve? And so it will still generate earnings or profit for you without you touching it or with you touching it minimally. That is a fascinating thing to me. And that was even from day one, that's what I wanted to happen. It took a, a, several years of pain and suffering, like I said, but that's ultimately what we produced. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the e-myth where he talks about, Michael Gerber talks about working on your business as opposed to in your business. That I'm assuming then that helped clarify this thought you had on this concept. Is that, is that accurate? A absolutely. I don't know that there's another book that's changed the lives of small business owners more than that book, really. Uh, it's, it's just been like a shockwave for decades. It's really helped people understand how to not be a slave to your company because there's, there's a difference between being self-employed, as you know, and being a real business owner. For, for, if you left your business today, what would happen? Would it, would it burst into flames? <laughs> would, would everything fall apart? If it would, that's okay, but you're self-employed. And how do we move you to being a business owner? Well, there's processes and there's strategies for that. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist because I can promise you that if I figured it out, everybody listening can figure it out too. Yeah, I appreciate that. So then tell us about when you hit a wall, when the cleaning business hit a wall and you were struggling, how did you get through that? And tell us about that phase. Well, I think what happens with small businesses and, and with mine is that when you start to win, when you start to scale a little bit, like, like you have revenue now, you know, you, hit, you do your first $10,000 a month, you do your first $20,000 a month, you get excited, you get caught up in it. But what, what happens is it brings with it another level of issues and problems, cash flow issues, payroll issues, management and personnel issues. So for me, going from being a small owner operator with a couple a part-time and maybe one full-time guy to having a real team, that whole middle period of my business was extremely challenging. And that's where the rubber meets the road is, is pivoting into that. Excellent. So thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, and then you, I've read a quote somewhere, some of the materials I read when I was researching your background that your mom said to you at a certain point, don't despise small beginnings. Is, did I get that right? And what does she mean by that? Well, you know what? Every huge megalithic international corporation on the planet started tiny. 
everything starts small. And, you know, my software company started with handwritten scribbles on a napkin, right? And how many times have you heard stories like that? And <laughs> you, know, you don't despise small beginnings. You embrace them. You'd be proud of them. You know, I'm not above anything. If I need to scrub a toilet, I'll go scrub a toilet. If I need to clean a gutter, I'll clean a gutter. But the trick is, Henry, is you don't despise the small beginnings, but you need to slowly shift your thinking into the mindset of an executive, even if it's only you and your business right now, how can you start thinking of yourself as the CEO of your company? Because it's that type of mentality that moves you through the, the higher level tasks you need to be focusing your attention on. And oftentimes, little businesses get, get tied up. They spend all their time doing lower level tasks that really could be automated or delegated to another person and stuff like that. And people can get stuck there for 20 years and just never break through. That's great. All right. So let's dive in a little bit more into systems. I obviously also agree with you on the value of systems. Uh, you attributed this to being the eventual success of your first business. And now you've refined that and help others. But can you, let's start at a high level, explain what you define as a system and how you've implemented it in your business at a high level. Sure thing. Um, first of all, here's the real gold nugget, Henry, that I think people will like if you can get this. Everybody listening to this, including you, including me, already right now at this moment has a fully systemized business today. Okay, so the question is not, you know, how do I deploy systems in my business, Josh? How do, no, 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 that's the wrong question. Everything we do is a pattern of behavior. The way you get up in the morning, the way you brush your teeth, the way that you find a new customer, the way you sell them your stuff, the way that you follow up or don't follow up afterwards, the way that you hire and recruit and train and invest in your team, the way you lead people. We're already doing these things, but the question is, is the way that we're doing it, or you could call that execution, is the way we're executing inside of our business, is it serving us well? Is it moving us closer to the ultimate thing we want more than anything? For most people, the answer is no. For most people, the answer is no, but I think that's a profound, you know, kind of mind bomb moment when you understand that. Yeah, and I think furthermore, we think of systems and we can easily apply them to our traditional back office stuff like payables and payroll and on onboarding an employee. But when it comes to, as you talk about a lot, the customer engagement, which I think you break into two parts, loyalty and sales, that's where often in a small business owner, it's, it's me maybe as the owner, it's all in my head. Yeah, maybe we have a process, but it's but it's very ad hoc. Is that what you see as well with small business owners? Well, yeah, they're not intentional enough. And the reason they're not mm. intentional enough starts with one singular problem. It's that they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they want. I mean, this is like an epidemic, and it makes my, my heart break for people. Uh, but we have to take responsibility for our own lives and start kind of stepping up to the plate and defining where we're going. Um, everybody is supposed to have a destination. Oh, I, I call it a why. Why did you start your business? Was it really so you could work 83 hours a week and make you know less money than you did in your corporate job? Really? No. Where are we going? Where are we pointing the business towards? I view everybody's business like a sailboat and it's floating around in, in the ocean and the winds come and the waves are coming that you can't stop that but you can drop your rudder down and and, and point your ship towards the correct destination and yeah you're going to get the crap beat out of you sometimes it doesn't matter as long as you keep pivoting back towards what it, what am i doing where am i going why do i want it reiterating that that's what really helps you be more intentional about tweaking and starting to tinker with all these systems yeah 
Yeah, I get that. That's great insight. But but when it comes to sales in particular, I think what also happens, or customer engagement as you put it, is that we get busy, whether it's with the next sale or whatever, and we don't continue that engagement. And that's one of the things you help clients with, if I if I understood correctly. Well, yeah. I mean, it's cra- It's madness. It's madness because the number one most valuable asset your company has right now is your current book of business. It's the people that like you. They gave you money to do stuff. and But for some reason, we have a tendency to be what I call called transactionally minded. We need to be relationally minded. You know, let's focus on the lifetime value of of the relationship with our customers rather than the check that gets cashed today for the thing that we did yesterday. It's super short-sighted and it's a big problem. And people just drop the ball on this. I it's like they're chasing that next sale and they're forgetting about all these people that that's the source of the referrals. That's the source of the repeat business. That's going to drive your average ticket up on the second and third time you engage with them. Yeah, agreed. So introduce a little bit more and, and further describe for me then your two businesses, Automate, Grow, Sell, and Send Gym. Tell me more about what those are and what they do. Sure thing. Well, I, my software company, Send Gym, was originally a proprietary tool I built for my own self. And it's very simple. Okay. It's an app. You can download it in the app store, Android, Google, whatever. And it sends postcards and emails and letters and gifts and different things to your customers from your phone. So you meet with a customer, you, you do some business, you, you, you push a couple buttons on your phone and it will initiate what's called a follow-up sequence. Okay. So you spend 23 seconds right now being intentional and it will touch and engage that person over the next year or the next two years. It'll send them a postcard saying, hey, thank you so much for this. It'll send them a letter. It'll send them an email six months later saying, hey, we need to do an account review, whatever the case is. And we built that as an internal thing. I took 50 grand and said, we need this in our business because we were starting to do $40,000 a week in cleaning stuff. And it was getting out of control to really manage that retention and that loyalty and to stay top of mind with our customers. Um, long story short, it kind of took on a life of its own. And now it's, you know, my core business right now. It's an amazingly simple thing, but it's a very powerful thing. And so it, it keeps you in touch, obviously, with that customer. It leads then to repeat business from that customer. But it also, I have to imagine, generates a tremendous amount of referrals for the business as well. Well, yeah. You know, for referrals are funny. People overcomplicate everything. I mean, I, I overcomplicate things, depending on what it is. But really, how do you get referrals? You ask for them. And how do you get lots of referrals? You ask for them lots of times. <laughs> it's not rocket science, but we yeah. don't do it. You know, we think that we're asking for referrals when we meet with someone. We say, oh, well, you know, I appreciate your business. You know, keep us in mind if you know anybody that needs our service. That's useless. You didn't ask for referrals. You need to have a referral strategy. You need to look them in their eye and say, Mrs. Smith, listen, I appreciate your business. I just want to remind you, we're a small family company. We rely on referrals from good people like you. Uh, is there anybody you can think of that could re- we could provide value to? And then she'll say, I don't know. Oh, well, just let me know if you think of someone. Okay, that's step one. Well, then you ask again. And then you ask a third time. And then you send them a letter with the exact same wording. Oh, Mrs. Smith, just a quick reminder. We're a small family company. We rely. When you start doing that five or six times, repeatedly, systematically, you start winning. People actually will start to refer you. But Customers have the attention span of a goldfish, just like us. The moment you leave doing business with them, they're living their life. Their life's work isn't to find a referral to you. But if you, at a prof- in a professional way, engage them multiple times, they will produce those referrals. 
Yeah, that's such valuable advice. I, I think I've also found that you'll get that comment of, oh, it so happened that I was just thinking of a friend of mine and, and you sent me a postcard or an email or called me. So it's to your point, uh, you have to continually stay top of mind with them on this point of asking for their referral. And that's what this helps you automate. Exactly right. All right, automategrowsell.com. What is that business? Well, that business, you know, I have this new website called automatejosh.com and people call me Automate Josh. I mean, I even automate things with my kids and my my wife. I mean, we have date night a certain time every week. I have one-on-one intentional father-son time every single week. I have Sawyer Sunday, Maverick Monday, Tucker Tuesday. And basically I help other small businesses understand how to actually make this stuff happen. You know, how to get unstuck. So I have an online small business boot camp. It's super deep college level, awesome, inspiring course that really helps you, you know, get connected with other like-minded people and go through these 50 different modules and trainings to really help you get this stuff out of your head and into your business. Um, I target, you know, service companies, you know, any kind of home service company is kind of my bread and butter. And it happened because I get a lot of requests to do consulting and to fly here and fly there and to speak at this and all that. And I don't have time to, to do all of those opportunities. So I built this instead. It's a very, very valuable, uh, deeply engaging learning product to help you win. That's great. Thanks for clearing that up and clarifying that. That's, uh, so it's automategrowsell.com or... Uh, there's the other website was what again that has your name in it? Yeah, automatejosh.com has Automate ev- everything, you know, because I have a podcast, I have my boot camp, and I have Send Jim, and I'm just a busy guy. But you, you can yeah. find me in, you know, out there. And but the, the course itself is called Automate Grow Sell because you want a business that's automated and that's growing. But the last part that people forget too, Henry, is wouldn't you rather own a business that you could sell? Not saying you have to sell it, but wouldn't you want a real asset, something that could be a real legacy to your family? Well, there's ways to do that. And most people don't understand how to position their company as a sellable asset, how to get the highest multiple if you find a buyer. You know, we help people with that other portion of it as well. Wonderful. And, and folks, we'll have those links to all of those sites on our show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, so I want to come back to this move to Costa Rica as it relates to working from a remote location. You talked about freedom of location. Uh, you talk about being free from your business. That's something I aspire to do as well. What are you doing? Uh, tell me about how you're getting set up to be able to do that effectively. I think you mentioned somewhere else that I read the issues with connectivity, internet connectivity from Costa Rica. So tell me about that challenge of working remotely. There's There's been so many new challenges. And, you know, I'm in the middle of the fire right now still. And these new businesses, um, they're not gigantic. You know, I have a small team with Sin Jim. I think we have six of us now. I have a designer in Ireland and I have a, a tech guy in Arkansas. I have a business partner in Michigan. I have two guys working in Costa Rica. And it's a different <laughs> world running a company like that. But technology makes these things very possible. Uh, but it is a learning experience for me, too, as I lead my team and try to figure this thing out. The Internet, yeah, it goes out all the time in Costa Rica. It drives me crazy. It makes me want to just bash my head against the wall sometimes. The power will go out, you know. Uh, the data speeds on the Internet are slower. So there's challenges, um, but it's been an amazing thing. And technology is so ridiculously great. If you know, understand what tools are available uh, to collaborate and to be efficient and stuff, you really can do a lot of different businesses from home the way that I'm doing it currently. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, is there a collaboration tool that you're using that you would recommend? Yeah, we love Trello. Trello is T-R-E-L-L-O. 
it's just this little weird board system. It's like a task management slash repository to to put things you need to do or whatever. Uh, but it, it connects to other apps. You know, you can use Zapier for example, to automate things. So if someone submits an order to buy something from us, you know, uh, we'll get an email, but it'll also post that data on Trello and assign it to the right person. And then I can see kind of what's on everybody's plate and we can drag and drop and move things around and mark them completed. It's free and it's pretty incredible. Yeah, Trello. I know a lot of people who use Trello. We'll have that link again also on the show notes page at the How of Business. So for a small business owner who is starting out or finds himself that they're definitely in the business, recommendation on where someone should start to start building these systems that allow you to free yourself from your business? Well, first of all, I want to encourage that person. I just want to say, good for you. Like, you can do it. You can do it. Like, you have what it takes. And I'm not being cheesy, motivational guy. I, I Look we are capable of so much more than we think we are and have, starting a business is scary and you know it's easy to get paralyzed by fear to get analysis paralysis and not know where to start to feel it's very lonely being an entrepreneur too uh, so it's it's not something to take lightly so i i commend anybody that gets in the game as far as how do you win how do you understand the best way to start is to understand what you want more than anything in the world first after you establish that start documenting how you execute inside your business right now. What do you do? Literally document it. Keep a journal with you for one week and write down, okay, I spent two hours returning emails on Monday. Then I did three hours of sales calls. Then I did invoices and paperwork. Then I did this. Then I did that. After you're done, we want to take the low-hanging fruit, all the little easy things. We want to figure out a way to get those off your plate and onto someone else's plate. You know, and there's a variety of ways to do that. I'm trying to give a generic answer. Uh, but what you do when you move those little bitty things off your plate is you create space for yourself. And you need this space. I mean, this is what's critical. Even to this day, Henry, every single day, I take an hour motorcycle ride down the dirt roads of Costa Rica just to think for no other reason. I'll listen to a podcast. I'll just think. I'll be in prayer. I'll do whatever. But you have to have space or else you will get sucked in so bad into your business that you will get stuck indefinitely. So identify what you're doing now. Identify the low-hanging fruit. Figure out a way to make someone else do it. And then use that space and invest it on a high level, higher level thing, you know, business strategy, higher level relationships and networking, um, all the big picture stuff. That's what you reinvest that newfound time that you get by delegating those tasks. Yeah, fantastic advice. Thanks for sharing that. And so I want to ask the next question. You've touched on what I think is, I think you've shared a lot of what has made you successful. But let me just ask you the question. What has been one of the keys to your business success grit grit it's not intelligence it's not having a secret book that no one heard of and you read it and chapter three gives you all the magic solutions it has to do with what's going on between your ears the war of business is fought between your ears and it's between my ears and i don't have all this figured out you know i'm still at war but i know without a doubt that that is where you win it's in your mind it's in your mindset you have to think correctly. You have to behave like an executive. If you're not doing it, pivot back into that. If you have a bad day, it's okay. Pivot back into it. That is what it takes. And, you know, never, ever giving up. Just stay in the game. Or as I like to say, don't quit the band right before you get a record deal. Did you always have that? 
I, I kind of did, yes. I mean, even as an athlete in high school, I didn't feel like I, I worked out hard enough in football practice unless I was kind of throwing up after at the end of it. And people think that's crazy. Um, and really, it doesn't matter if it is or if it isn't. That is a fundamental characteristic of people who win. Okay, you have to get yourself fired up and you can't get yourself fired up if you don't know exactly what you want and why you're doing all this to begin with. You know, having that why is what drags your butt out of bed in the morning, even when you don't want to, even when your checking accounts overdrafted to keep going. And so I believe grit can be learned. I, I had I had some of it innate inside me and, and some of it just through uh execution and keeping going and having a supportive wife to yell at me and say, get your butt out there and go club something and drag it home. Yeah. And, and so the follow-up question I was going to ask, I think you've kind of answered Joshua, which is we can have that grit, that determination, that just sheer force, but what we can lack is a focus on where to focus. In other words, that's something sometimes what leads us to have to think that we want and need to do everything in our business. So when did it start to that come into focus that you have to channel that grit, that work ethic into the right places? You're absolutely right. And that was the issue with me as a younger business person. It was lots of zeal, lots of energy, very little wisdom to back up that energy, very little focus. You know, John Lee Dumas says, follow one course until success, that focus, right? And that's really what it takes. So you got to have a little maturity and some wisdom in there. Uh, but you don't have to overcomplicate it. I mean, you can make up for a lot of mistakes just by uh, being resilient and pushing hard. But if you're going to do anything in the back of your mind while you're going through the fire, always be aware of every chance you have to take something off your plate and to put it on someone else's plate so you can focus on higher level things. You do that long enough and you wind up with that little box we talked about in the beginning that you put a dollar in the top, $2 come out the bottom, and you didn't even touch it. Yeah, I love that. Wisdom and focus. That's that's great. Great insight. All right, we'll start to wrap this up, Joshua. Uh, I always ask about book recommendations. Obviously, we've talked about the E-Myth, then we've talked about a tool like Trello or Trello. can never remember how to pronounce that right. <laughs> is there a book you've read recently or maybe in the past that you would recommend to our listeners? This is always a tough question to narrow it down to one, of course. But the one I'm reading right now um, is called Steal the Show. And it has to do with how everything we do in our life is really a performance, even this interview right now. It doesn't mean I'm not being authentic, but it means I've prepared my head to deliver value to you and your listeners right now. And it's about public speaking and about sales. And it helps you understand that we have to have the right mentality and mindset, structure and rehearsal going into all the parts of our business and our life to win at a high level. It's a really cool book and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Steal the show. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it on our show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we will wrap this up, Joshua. Question for you. Any last parting piece of advice for our audience? Again, our folks that are listening typically are planning to make that transition into being their own boss or their small business owners like you or I that are always looking for tips on how to grow. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. And, you know, don't be married to how you do your business. Be married to what you want more than anything. And if you have to pivot and shift and change and, and jump over here and do it this way and that way, that's fine. Do that. That's normal. Don't give up. And if you have negativity in your life or people holding you down, cut them out. You know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? So, you know, make the hard choices, surround yourself with like-minded people that have positivity and energy and never, ever quit. Thanks for that. 
So we've talked about a bunch of websites. What's the best place people can go to find out more about you and your business? Uh, the best place is automatejosh.com. And, you know, and, and that's my Twitter handle, my Facebook. You know, Automate Josh is the easiest way to find me. And it has everything, you know, lots of free resources, blog posts, podcasts, all kinds of things to help get you fired up so you can win. Josh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for spending this time with us. Thank you, Henry, for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. I really mean that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.